0: Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, and uh, we're going to continue on with the uh, third and final portion of our sermon on the Olivet Prophecy. So as we get started here in Matthew chapter 25, we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles now, we yearn to learn more deeply about your word and uh, your desires for us. We are your children, and we want to be obedient and respectful children of yours, and we want to follow your instructions on how, how you want us to live. So uh, send the Holy Spirit here today now uh, to really help us to understand deeply and profoundly what you have in store for us in these uh, verses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. We started a series on the prophecy that Jesus gave on Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Since he gave it on the Mount of Olives, it is often referred to as the Olivet Prophecy. So we started off two weeks ago in chapter 24, where the apostles came to Jesus. They were at the temple and uh, they were admiring the temple. And Jesus told them that uh, not one stone is gonna be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down with regard to the temple. And uh, they went on to ask him a little bit more deeply, when is this going to happen? And what is gonna be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Well, Jesus throughout chapter 24 up until verse 33, 34, he gives a prophecy about the destruction of the temple. That was going to happen in 66 to 70 AD. And uh, we talked about that. And uh, we even saw a video two weeks ago off of uh, YouTube that really depicted the actual destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple itself. So that prophecy of Jesus Christ came to be fulfilled powerfully. Uh, As Jesus said uh, in verse 34 here that, I tell you the truth, this generation that he was speaking to at the time would certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And they did happen. And it was a, a tremendous disaster for, for the, the Jews at that time. And it really brought an a, uh, end to the old covenant since there was no longer a temple, no longer a priesthood, so to speak. And uh, there was only Jesus now to believe in and to follow. Well, after that prophecy, Jesus went on to instruct the apostles because he knew that there was going to be a long time until his return. So the first thing that he told them at the end of verse 24 is, don't try to figure out the day of my return. I'm gonna return suddenly, at a time when you're not going to expect it. So keep watch. And we talked about how that doesn't mean to try to predict the second coming of Jesus. It meant to be spiritually prepared. When you hear the gospel, respond to it. In other words, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and believe. That's what you're to do. That's how you're to get yourself uh, prepared spiritually. That's how you're to be watching. So then uh, last time we talked about the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. And all of these parables Jesus is telling here has to do with a master who is going away and is away for a while. And the first parable here about the 10 bridesmaids was about uh, 10 bridesmaids who were anticipating the arrival of the bridegroom and the marriage ceremony. Because they were going to lead the bride and the groom in a procession, a candle lit or a torch lit ceremony. And he explained how all of those bridesmaids were to be prepared. They were to do what they needed to do to be spiritually prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ, in other words. And half of them were, and half of them weren't. Then we went on to read the uh, parable of the talents, where God gives gifts. He gives talents and abilities to all of his people. And what Jesus was instructing the apostles and the disciples, you know, in my absence, I want you to be using the talents that you have been given. The God-given talents that you have for the service to the church, the service to the believers. And we talked last time about how we do that and not to be afraid as the one man in the parable was. Instead of using his talents or investing his talents that he was given, he went and hid his talent. He buried it because he was afraid. What if I screw up? What if, what if I don't get the result that I want? And we talked about how that applies directly to the God-given talents that God has given us. We all have a spiritual gift through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we need to figure out what that gift is. It's always something we enjoy doing. Uh, and whatever your gift is, use it. Use it for the betterment of the church, for service in the church. Don't be afraid. And we talked about how sometimes people are fearful. They think, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to share something with the church. I, God did something beautiful in my life. And maybe you tell the pastor about it and the pastor says, well, why, I want you to share that with the church. No, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm too afraid to do that. Don't be afraid. You know, use the talent that God has given you, whatever that talent may be, in service to the church and your fellow believers. And now finally we come to Matthew 25 verse 31, the final parable that he gives, and this is some of the last words Jesus said to the apostles as a group before his death. So he says this, when the son of man comes in his glory, I'm talking about his second coming, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So he's talking about his eventual return. Again, he's going to be gone a long time, but he is going to return. And when he returns, there will be a judgment. There will be a separating So this is a vision of the future when the Son of Man, Jesus, is enthroned in glory and he judges all nations. Now, I don't know why. uh, I've I've tried to learn over the years why the separation includes sheep on the right hand and goats on the left. What is preferable about sheep and it's not preferable about goats? It looks like goats got the the bad deal here. But uh, as much as I can learn, sheep... Are the type of animals that are more easily shepherded. They are more prone to stay in a flock and to be guided by a shepherd. That's one thing I learned. Where goats are not. <laughs> goats want to go off on their own. You know, sheep will eat certain things that the shepherd provides for them, grazing land. Goats tend to eat just about anything they want. <laughs> you know, they, they, they're Mavericks they're harder to control harder to to herd that's about all I can I can understand about the difference between sheep and goats why did God pick the sheep to be the good people he's the great shepherd and he he shepherds the sheep and the goats get the the raw deal they're the bad ones They're, they're the bad boys but notice verse 34 then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance now take note here salvation is not about earning but about inheriting it's about sharing in Jesus life and we are going to inherit through Jesus Christ what he is going to have what he has now he is going to share that with us as the sons and daughters of of the father So take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So this has been God's plan all along. From the time of the creation of the world, God has had this in mind, that he was going to create this human race, and his goal would be for us to become sons and daughters of God, to inherit what his son Jesus Christ has inherited, and to share in it. And you know what, we, we talk about this now, but our minds, our physical minds, can't perceive what this is going to entail. Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, is going to share his inheritance with us. So we try to think about that and try to get deep with that, but I think that there's some sort of a mental blockage that we have. I don't think our minds are capable of understanding what that is going to include in the future. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be great. Mind has not, uh, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor our human minds can even contemplate what that's going to be like, what God has prepared for us. Now, why do the sheep share in this inheritance? He gives a reason here, an example, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So these are acts of service. When you become a Christian, these are things that normally and regularly should take place in our lives. We should be like Jesus. When Jesus came down to this earth, he served those he came in contact with. We as Christians, as God's sons and daughters, should have the same mindset. We should be looking for opportunities of service. So good works, yes, but specifically, good works toward who? The church. Jesus is talking about you did it to the least of these brothers of mine. He's not talking here about the world necessarily. He's talking specifically about fellow church members that he's going to call a church that started on the day of Pentecost. And he wants our main focus to be on our fellow believers, the brothers of Jesus Christ. He says, when you do it for them, you've done it for me. Now, he's not ruling out good works toward people in the world. But our priority should be good works toward fellow church members. He places emphasis on the sheep, okay? Now, let's turn to something Jesus said earlier in Matthew 10, verse 40. Matthew 10, verse 40, he says something similar here. When he's about to send the apostles or the disciples out for ministry, he says this, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one, again, of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So receiving Jesus' disciples equals receiving Jesus. So we're not saved by works of charity, as important as they are, but we are saved by receiving Jesus, who is presented to us in the presence of fellow church members. So we should be all about good good works. It comes naturally if you are a Christian. It should be in your heart to look out for needs and to do your part to serve others, but specifically in the church. That's what Jesus is saying here. Notice what Paul said in Galatians 6 verse 9. He says something very similar. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Good works are great. We should be doing them all the time. But specifically, most importantly, toward fellow church members. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So isn't there an old saying that charity starts at home? And it does, as far as God's church is concerned. So, try to do good works for everybody, but most importantly, be looking out for your fellow church members and try to find out what you can do for them. So the basis for salvation and judgment is one and the same. Our response to Jesus' words. He goes on in verse 41 of Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, here's the goats." Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So in other words, I'm not saying that good works is what saves us. We're saved by grace, by God's goodness. But good works are something that should flow naturally out of us those of us who are saved we have so much to be joyful for we have so much we're looking forward to and as Christians filled with God's Holy Spirit we should have the same attitude that Jesus had of looking out for the needs of others and doing our part sometimes without even being asked to do it because that's God's goodness it's God's grace flowing out of us So are we going to be the trusting sheep who gladly share in all that Jesus, the great shepherd, possesses or are we untrusting goats who turn away from the master and his gifts? Do we receive Jesus as the king that he is or do we reject him or do we just put off any decision about him till a future time when all of a sudden it's too late and time has run out? So that's what these parables are saying. Jesus is saying, "Okay, I'm going away. I'm going to be gone for a long time. Here's what you need to be doing in the meantime. You need to get spiritually prepared. What does that mean? You need to, as you hear the gospel, you need to respond to it. Don't put it off. You're faced with this Jesus Christ. You're faced with the fact that you're a sinner. What are you going to do about that? Are you okay with that? Are you just going to look around and and kind of judge other people and say, well, I may have my flaws, but I'm not as bad as that guy. So in my mind, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. Or are you going to know that you need a Savior and call on Jesus to be your personal Savior? You know, some people just want to be judged by their own merits. And if we're judged by our own merits, we're doomed. Because we've all sinned, you know, the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. Another verse in Isaiah says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. Because no matter how hard we try in this life, we're not good enough. We can't make it. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can be good enough for salvation. Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to us. He credits his righteousness to us. That's the only way you're going to make it into the kingdom of God. Not your righteousness, because it's never good enough. Only Jesus Christ's righteousness. That's why there's the parable, again, we talked about a few weeks ago, where there's a great feast, a wedding celebration and a feast. And the master says to his servants, go out and bring anybody in to this feast to celebrate okay and as they look over the crowd there everybody's having a good time but there's one person who doesn't have the right wedding garment on and this person gets kicked out what does that mean well when we come to the great celebration of our salvation after Jesus returns the great wedding banquet that's going to take place. We all have to have the right wedding garment on. And it's going to be the, the white righteousness of the saints that comes through our Savior Jesus Christ. He gives us the garment to put on. It's his righteousness, not our own. And if you try to get into the wedding celebration and the salvation celebration. And you don't have Jesus' righteousness. You see, your personal righteousness is not enough. And you're not going to be allowed to be there. Let's talk for a moment about judgment. John chapter 5 and verse 22, when Jesus Christ returns, He is the judge. He is the one who's going to judge the whole world. And Jesus commented here in John 5 verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So who is the judge going to be? It's not God the Father. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ. The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. You know, this word judgment is an interesting word. The Greek word is like our word crisis. You know what a crisis is it's a very tough time that you go through when you have a crisis in your life uh, we don't like to face a crises because it's a tough time it's a time maybe where you have to make a decision it's a time where you're you're uh, split in two different directions it's it's a tough stressful time in your life the Greek word for judgment is k-r-i-s-i-s I think it's pronounced crisis. And it's kind of interesting that judgment is a time of crisis for people. Now, it's not going to be a time of crisis for us because we already know who we are. We know where we stand. We've come under the blood of Jesus Christ. We're one of the sheep in the flock because we're not relying on our own goodness to make it. We're relying on the grace of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But for a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ or who have rejected Jesus Christ or who don't believe in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, at the time of Jesus' return, they are going to come face to face with Jesus Christ. (laughs) And it's going to be a time of crisis for them because they're going to be in a tough spot. Because here is the one who is going to judge us And depending on what your attitude has been toward Jesus Christ and this life, you're gonna be under a very stressful situation. And I think that that's interesting that our word for judgment comes from the Greek word crisis, crisis. Jesus' personal presence on earth is going to bring crisis for people because there's nowhere to hide. There's no more excuses to make. You can't say, I, can't believe, I don't believe in this person, because here he is looking at you. You are facing him now. For all who have chosen in this life to live in darkness and to reject God and to reject his son, Jesus Christ, it is going to be a time of judgment. It's going to be a time of crisis. Here in John 5, he goes on to say in verse 28, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So those in this life who gave themselves to participate in the life of Jesus, as we have, will get what they wanted eternal life with the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit but those in this life who opposed the life that Jesus brought who rejected it who wanted to instead participate in darkness or alienation from God will come face to face with Jesus at that time and hell really is alienation from God and if this is what these people chose to pursue in this life, alienation from God, that will be their reward. Hell is a place, it is a state of alienation from God. You're not gonna have access to God. You're not gonna have access to the joys of heaven. You know, in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, you know, the rich man finally gets to heaven and sees Lazarus over there in the bosom of Abraham having a great time and the statement is made that well, you know, you rich man, you can't come over here because there's a great divide between us. You know, because of the, the decisions you made in this life, you chose to reject God, to, to not help the poor. Unfortunately, now this is going to be your stake from now on. You, you've chosen it. Now you're going to live it. So Jesus is the judgment. When he returns, he is going to Come face to face with everybody who has ever lived. And it's going to be a time of crisis for them. If you have chosen Jesus in this life. If you live in relationship with him. Well you are a member of the flock of sheep. That are going to inherit your reward. You're going to be co-inheritors with Jesus. The Lord and King of the universe. But in this life. If you have rejected God, you don't believe in God, you think God is just a stupid fable, the Bible's not real, it's just a storybook. Well, when the time of crisis comes for you, your reward, what you're gonna end up doing for all eternity is being alienated from God, just as you've chosen. So, Jesus warns us in these parables, the last words he gave to the disciples before his death on the cross. He told the story of how he's going to be gone for a long time, but he's going to return. And in his absence, here's what you need to be doing. (laughs) You need to prepare yourself spiritually. You need to be in in a spiritual state of readiness. We don't know when he's going to return. We're never going to know when he's going to return. So don't try to figure it out. And a lot of Christians waste a lot of time trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return. Instead of doing what they were told to do. Of using the gifts that God has given you to serve. Especially in the church. To seek to take care of the needs of others. Whenever you see that need. Especially in the church. And when Jesus Christ returns, if you've been doing the things that you should be doing, you're going to be welcomed into that flock of sheep and inherit what God has prepared for you. So it's a strong warning by Jesus Christ. And we as his disciples need to understand and be about the father's business and be doing what he has instructed us to do. We're called to make his presence known to others. We do so through acts of mercy and words of testimony. Let us be faithful in this gospel work as an expression of our trust in our master whose return we await. And finally, right at the end of your Bibles, Revelation 22. I like what uh, John writes here in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20. Right at the end of the book, he says this. He who testifies these things, that is Jesus Christ, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So we don't fear Jesus' return. We anticipate it. We're looking forward to it. We don't need to sit around and try to figure out the exact time that it's going to happen. We just need to be spiritually prepared. Spiritually prepared. So he's given us sufficient instruction here. We need to heed it. So that's what we teach here. And that's what we instruct here. And we we hope that you respond to that. And you're always ready. You're always anticipating. It's going to be a blessed time. It's going to be a time that is just going to blow us away. Because it's going to be real. You know, when Jesus returns, we're all going to be around going, I can't believe this is really happening. It's finally happening. He's finally coming now. And it's going to be a time of tremendous joy, and it's going to be a time that we inherit our reward, an eternal reward, which we will enjoy with God forever. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again, thank You for the words of Your Son, Jesus Christ, the instruction that He gave the disciples, and we know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So Father, thank You that You haven't laid a heavy burden on us but uh, you have given us instruction that is pertinent and important, and it's just a matter of staying close to you, of growing deeper in a relationship with you daily, appreciating you, loving you, obeying you, doing all that we can, and taking the gifts and the abilities you've given us to serve in the church, to always look around this flock that you've given us here, Father, being aware of each other's needs, and just being generous and uh, bold to fulfill the needs of, of others around us. Because we know that when we're doing it for them, we're doing it for you. So, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being called your children. And we certainly look forward to eternal life with you. And all the, the, the goodness and grace and, and, and tremendous joy we'll have at that time. So, thank you, Father. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.